0: I'm Coach Nikki. Welcome to the Business 101 Show podcast. If you have a question on business or maybe you'd like to be interviewed on our show, get in touch. Email us info at business101show.com.au. That's info at business101show.com.au. We're on Instagram and Facebook too. You can find all those details at our website, business101show.com.au. And joining me on the line is Paul Zahara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association. Paul, hello, and welcome to the Business 101 Show.
1: Hi, pleased to be here.
0: Lovely to have you. Uh, Obviously, being in Queensland, we've got the mandate coming on Friday. Your understanding towards retailers and the mandate How do you see it unfolding for our retailers here in Logan and Queensland?
1: Well, look, what we do know is from the 17th of December, customers will have to show their proof of vaccination when they check into many Queensland locations and businesses. However, this won't apply to retail. So you'll have to show your vaccination to get into places like hospitality venues, hotels, pubs, clubs, restaurants and cafes, as well as entertainment venues like nightclubs, theatres, sports, stadiums or theme parks. But retail, um, you won't be required. So we, we are sort of at least relieved about that, I guess, because the retail industry has done it pretty tough and it's just another hurdle that um, frontline staff have to get over when, you know, when when customers are shopping.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic news, isn't it? I know we held, uh, we were part of the Logan Office of Economic Development breakfast about the mandate last week and many of the retailers were very confused about what they did or didn't have to do. So getting clear information is really the battle, I think, at this stage. Is that how you see it?
1: Oh, absolutely. So it's good that there's at least uh, the information's clear and, and retailers and consumers can plan. So it makes, a, makes it easy all round when there's clear communication.
0: Yeah, that's right. Now, Paul, I was listening to um, your Christmas uh, podcast, the one that you did in October, at Retail Therapy, which was your podcast. Yes. And in that with Fleur, the forecast was that people are going to shop for traditional items like toys, jigsaw, puzzles, sleepwear, shoes, clothes. What do you think drives that? Do you think because people are a bit anxious because of what's going on, they're turning back to what they know? I was just trying to dive in to see whether there's anything in the Aussie psyche that we can glean out of that.
1: Well, look, unfortunately, unfortunately, I've been in the industry for a long time, so I (laughs) get to see all these trends come and go. Um, What I have found, or what's, what's a fact, is that during really uncertain times when there's a lot of anxiety around consumers, they tend to revert to traditional gifts. And there's certainly been a, a level of high anxiety over the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not a surprise to see people uh, returning to, to gifts like um, board games and jigsaw puzzles, those types of things that give us a sense of tradition and safety.
0: Yeah. I thought it was an interesting point made in October for that for this period coming up. Now, you know how there's, there's obviously a lot of sales happening online and there's also still a lot of foot traffic happening in store. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. So, look, we we certainly saw uh, COVID bring on a lot of trends that were already occurring in the industry. And one of the biggest trends were people shopping online. And, of course, during COVID, um, you know, people used to see or retailers used to see uh, online shopping as being such a major threat to their traditional business that, of course, if they didn't have an online business, they um, wouldn't have survived. So it was a real insurance plan for them. So, you know, what we have seen is the states where... There's been lockdowns and the lockdowns have been lifted. There's been certainly a return to shopping in- in-store mm-hmm. because shopping in-store remains a tactile, sensory, social experience. So people still want that, well, want that contact, but they do also appreciate the convenience of online shopping. So mm-hmm. that comes really handy during these busy times of year, when particularly if you've got to send gifts uh, across borders. It's much easier to do shopping online.
0: Kerry and I were talking earlier. Have you got a view on what do you think the mix for a business should be? Because I agree with you. I prefer to walk in store and buy shoes and clothes. Kerry does a lot of shopping for some other items online. Like when you look at a retail scenario, is there any gold standard where you go, oh, you should have X percent foot traffic, X percent online?
1: Not really. What we do know is that the standard now, as a minimum, there's about 10% of shopping is done online. That's grown fairly quickly pre covid to post-COVID or, or during this time, it sort of jumped pretty quickly to closer to 20%. Okay. But, you know, for a retailer, you should just be available to wherever customers want to shop, whether that's in-store, online, on their mobile phone, you know, on their desktop. It's important that you're there wherever the customer is. Yep.
0: Um,
1: what we're seeing is for some categories or some industries, that uh, online proportion could be as high as 50%. Um, and, you know, that's okay as long as your costs are really uh, a portion to where the sales are coming from, so if it's in store you're staffing the store uh, appropriately if it's if it's from online then if you if you're sh- uh, picking and packing and sh- uh, shipping from a warehouse you've got the staffing in the right location that's really the most important point
0: yeah, you mentioned something that's really key there for me, and that is about being where your customers are, so some of them are going to be online and some of them are going to want to be in store so absolutely yeah.
1: You, yeah. Well, it's really about um, what we say. We say you've got to be an omni-channel retailer because if, mm-hmm. you, if you're just a pure-play retailer, you're missing on all this traffic of people shopping in a physical store. Mm-hmm. And if you're purely a physical um, store retailer, then you're missing on these people that are shopping online. So you've got to be wherever the customer wants to shop, and that's being what we call an omni-channel retailer.
0: Paul, I was late to the party to celebrate Halloween. I was always poo-pooing it with my kids going, no, that's American <laughs> devil worship, we're not doing that. <laughs> I came around in the end, it was a bit of fun. Um, and then the same with the Black Friday sales and cyber sales and something Monday sales, Cyber Monday. I'm going, no, that's an Americanism. Mm-hmm. We're not doing that. But it's really <laughs> taken hold in the Australian landscape, right? Why, it's, have it's you got any huge. comments on this? Why is it happening? Like, why do we well, care in Australia? What's going on? Look, it's
1: because it's a really good question, Nikki. because I think um, what we're seeing is it's the globalisation of retail. And, you know, whether that comes down to brands that we can shop online offshore and have anything shipped to our home address. Mm-hmm. Equally, the promotions are becoming uh, global. So we're seeing um, certainly the the promotions from around the world being celebrated globally. Halloween's a big one. Most of them have started, you know, with some sort of either UK or US heritage. Valentine's Day comes to mind and that became a global phenomenon as well. So these things get traction. And Halloween, really, we often think of it being a kid's sort of event, but it's the adults that are spending all the money and they're also getting into it themselves. They're having their own dinner parties um, with particular uh, Halloween theming, and it's become really big business.
0: Yeah, it's true. I don't know if this question is indelicate delicate for you, given your position. I'm going to ask it, whether you answer it, It's yes. up to you. We were talking about uh, because online is taking off and foot traffic can be falling in certain pockets when you walk around certain areas, like CBD of Brisbane, McGrota's down in the Valley, things like that. Do you think there's a case to the landlords to say rental has to actually come back a little bit because we've peaked and we have to come back to match it and then go again when things pick up? Or is that just too simplistic? Well,
1: no, no, no. I, I think that's, it's not sensitive at all. I think that's the reality of business. You know, if the traffic's not there, then the rents can't be, you know, a retailer or any business shouldn't accept high rents if they're not getting the traffic. Mm. And CBDs around the world are really struggling, particularly in Australia, given the lockdowns we've been through. And it goes across all states. It doesn't have to be states as of lockdown. We know in Queensland... Uh, specifically in Brisbane, there's been certainly issues as well with CBD locations, and they they will take years to come back. So in Victoria, it could take, you know, according to some reports, it could take at least 10 years to recover. In Sydney, they're saying five, Brisbane maybe two to three years. So, you know, it's important if you're a CBD retailer that you do have that conversation open and honestly with your landlord and see what sort of relief you can get. You know, there might be, you know, a deal to be done where you might have to pay a different level of rent when things come back. But right now, we've sort of, you know, we're really dependent on landlords supporting retailers. Otherwise, they won't survive, um, you know, this post-COVID period.
0: Yeah, it's got to be like a reset, doesn't it? And then you you lead the market and then go with the market. So on that chain, um, we're hearing everywhere, you know, the great resignation, staff are hard to get. Obviously, we haven't got our um, offshore workers coming in or student to, to back up in casual aspects. Do you think that excuses then poor service at retail level or should we still be expecting gold standard service when we go into a store?
1: Look, that's a really good question and there's no doubt service levels will be suffering right now because we just cannot fill the jobs that are required, Mm. particularly in the bigger stores. But even in the smaller stores that are family-run, they may not be able to find the staff member, particularly in a regional location, to um, fill a particular shift or work during the busy periods. So, look, I think it goes both ways. I think customers need to be mindful and respectful that uh, frontline staff are having to do it a little bit tougher than they've ever done. Mm -hmm. That's including any, you know, types of COVID-safe checks down to having to work harder uh, with limited um, resources in a store. Um, But equally, you know, retailers should be doing their best. This is the most important time of the year. For discretionary retailers, they make up to two-thirds of their profits um, during this, all important Christmas trading periods. so they really want to shine right now. They don't want to let, they certainly don't want to let any opportunity pass them by.
0: No, and and they can make or break them for the year. Absolutely, yeah. My business is in flowers, so I see that in When you said Valentine's Day, I went oh, I love Valentine's Day. Yeah, but if a florist yeah. has a bad Valentine's Day and then a bad Mother's Day, that can take them out. They can lose their business if they don't. Well, peak,
1: that's so. it. And you, you would know this then, Nicky, too, because of course those premium sort of uh, retail events often build cash reserves for a retailer to trade through the winter months or the quieter times. So uh, it's important that um, you know what those those particular peaks are for, for your business and that you're actually leveraging or maximising those opportunities as, as best as you can.
0: Yeah, that's right. Now, on that line again, thinking of cash reserves, a discussion we've been having around the office is how much do you put into, say, a tech space like a platform to sell your products because you've moved into digital and most businesses would have moved to digital because of covid so that's one positive out of a horrible experience versus uh the size of your store and rent footprint we were sort of debating whether is there a percentage where you go okay we spend x amount in rent for our shop front so we should be spending x amount in our store like our online presence is there any rules that people tend to go, yeah, it works out at 10%. Or...
1: Yeah, it does. there's no sort of simple um, <laughs> response to that, I think. Well, what you do, I guess what we're saying to all retailers, or I'm saying to retailers, I guess, is that to invest in digital and to reduce their physical footprint, because that's really the way of the future. It depends, it depends on the type of business you've got, of course. Mm-hmm. But with some more and more items becoming Digitally transformed now, obviously in flowers that 's not the case. you would need um, certainly the same amount of floor space, but you would you would invest um you know I would like to think that you 'd l- at least thinking equally
0: yep.
1: you know if you 're thinking about your physical foot shop front, you should be thinking about digital digital 's got the biggest uh, opportunity, much more than the physical footprint because um, because it's it 's like a fast moving trade. there 's new innovations there 's always something um being developed that's going to set your business up uh, ahead of other businesses. So you need to sort of have, you know, a foot on, on both um, pedals, I guess, and be aware of um, where your money's being spent and where the opportunity is.
0: That's, that's a good point too. You're full of good points, Paul. I like it. <laughs> what about, you know, loyalty rewards programs? They used to really leverage people in store, but trying to cross over loyalty programs, say, in the digital space as well as the face-to-face, I call it face-to-face shop experience, Yes. it's very, a little bit disjointed from the way that I see it. Have you got any thoughts on that?
1: Well, look, I think loyalty programs work really well for businesses where there's so much choice for a consumer and you're actually having to literally buy their loyalty. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, if you stick with us, we're going to give you a discount or we're going to give you points that get you somewhere. Um, if, you're, if you're offering something that's unique, that has a unique um, value proposition, I would, would say... It might be your service, it might be the product you 're offering, then the loyalty really comes down to the service you deliver in store, and that 's where you 'll get that repeat customer custom so it depends it really depends on what you're, what what you 're selling and what your business is about but i look I, I think um, loyalty programs are costly, and you just need to be mindful when you, if you get into them It's because you know you might be a uh, a good example, you might be one of a bread shop that's also offering, you know, along a high street. There's many other bread shops, and people have choices, and your product quality is broadly the same. Then you might have to put a loyalty program in to retain customers. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a unique um, product offering or unique service that you're offering, it might be whether it's in creative design, in the flowers that you're um uh, your um, selling, or you're actually service that you're offering, then then the loyalty really should be about the service that you're offering inside the store.
0: You're talking about the brand experience, aren't you?
1: Totally. That's what it comes down to. So, you know, you want that full brand experience. And look, if you can afford to do both, that's terrific. You sort of get it from both angles. But most organizations can do one or the other. They generally can't do both.
0: We talk about this in the marketing world all the time, and that is Mm. know your unique selling point. So what it you're saying there is, is if a business knows that, they probably don't need to have a reward system in place because they're good at promoting that unique selling point that draws people into their store.
1: Absolutely agree. And look, I think the the, the big, the only thing i do just say for loyalty programs where it's data rich is that if you get a lot of data information that you can collect on customers and you're able to remarket to them, But, you know, there's very few loyalty programs that I've seen, particularly in small business, that have been sophisticated enough to do that. Mm. So I I sort of say, going with caution, a simple example is the, um, you know, some of the coffee um, shops that do, you know, every 12th coffee is free. Yep. But they're not collecting any data on that customer. Mm. And I sort of feel like he's sort of just discounting. That's really what you're doing.
0: Yep. I think one of the benefits, again, I, I try and look for benefits even in the horrible COVID situation. It seems to me like the 99% off sales have sort of fallen away now. People are more about being uh, hitting valuable price points every day rather than just dis- discounting all the time. Has that actually is a shift happened, or have I just become a, a non-aware? Well,
1: look, I think what's happened is certainly less discounting, and that's a fact. And it's only as a fact. To do with that there's um, supply uh, stock supply chain issues okay. that are creating stock shortages so it means retailers have had less reasons to discount they could sell more at full price yep. so um well,
0: that's going arguably to be
1: better that, for them right well it can well if you exactly if you if you sell out of a best-selling item then you're yeah, you're absolutely um in trouble because um it could be the lifeline to your business so it can be it can work both ways but Generally, um, over this course of the last six months, there's been certainly less discounting. And look, some companies work best with promotional offers that are very discount-driven. Others are best to have an everyday low price, where you're giving you the best price possible. You know, there's a real argument of going down to the uh, the everyday low price because you don't have the cost of marketing and remarketing, and you know the peaks and troughs that come with purchases during you know promotional periods.
0: We're speaking with Paul Zahara, the CEO of the Australian Retail Association. Paul, before you go, we're just about to hit 2022. Thinking about the first week or so, everybody normally makes New Year's resolutions and business owners, retailers would be exactly the same. What's the one thing or the angle or the position that you want to give them for 2022? What should they be doing or thinking to set themselves up for success?
1: Oh, firstly, I'd say they should have more fun. It's been
0: a real- Ooh, fun? Tough
1: year.
0: What, well, we don't have to be serious? So-
1: so, I think they they um they need to um have a bit more uh, fun in their in their day. Yeah, I, look, tough. I think in all serious seriousness, I think um you know we've got uh, the retail industry is doing fairly well. I mean we've come out of the Black Friday Cyber Monday sales, we forecasted the across the country that retailers would um sell about five point four billion dollars worth of product. They in fact sold eight. And we're on track to um for to spend another fifty nine billion the lead up to christmas and and then another twenty one billion post-Christmas, so there's real momentum um, in, in the country. And, you know, Queenslanders are expected to spend more than $12 billion in the lead up to Christmas, which is, you know, marginally lower than last year, but it's 12.3% above pre-COVID Christmas of 2019. So there's real momentum in the market. Wow. You know, it's really important that um, as, a, as a retailer, you've got your staffing, right, because there's staff shortages. If you've got good talent, treat your people really well, keep them. Um, And you need to understand more about your supply chain so you don't have the out of stock that we're still predicting into the next year will be a real concern across the board, whether that's from raw materials right through to finished products. So they're the two sort of headwinds that you need to keep your eye out for.
0: It's a very good point to end on because uh, the news this week in Brisbane was that the is going to run out for Christmas because we haven't enough pallets to ship the cans. So.
1: Yeah, we can't have and that.
0: Interesting. That's, de- that's terrible. That made people care about it. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Zahara, thanks very much for your time and thanks for being on the Business 101 Show. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. That was the Business 101 Show bonus podcast. If you'd like to pass any comment or ask a question or maybe even be interviewed on the show, please get in touch with us via business101show.com.au. That's online, email, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Coach Nicky. Thanks for listening.